I want to introduce uh, to you uh, Bob Jones. Bob Jones and I met this morning. And here's what I know about Bob Jones. As he told me that he's been in ministry for 40 years, he used the word, I recently transitioned out of my church. And I know this, people who've been in ministry for 40 years don't retire. They never retire. So transitioning out of your church is not retirement. And I quick picked up on that pretty quickly because ministry is a part of life. We're all called to be on mission. So uh, I, I know that about Bob in my couple minutes uh, chatting with him. He's come into uh, Winnipeg. He was preaching at Manhattan Beach uh, Camp and Retreat Center this past week. And uh, he's now taken a new pastor, I believe as an intern, uh, in no, uh, north of Edmonton in Alberta. And we're just happy to have him here this morning. So Soul Sanctuary, I'll ask you to please give a warm round of applause uh, for Bob as he comes and shares the word with us. All right, thank you, Jordan. Good morning, Soul Sanctuary. Good morning. So Jordan was saying that uh, maybe we could just walk up this way, but he said he wasn't going to shake my hand, so I thought we wouldn't go by him anyway. So I thought I'd just take the most direct route so I could get to work and be a part of what's going on today. It's exciting to be here, and I want to clarify a couple of things. Number one, I do not play polo. Number two, I don't shop for my own clothes. If you like this, then credit my wife Jocelyn. If you don't, then uh, don't say anything, please. Uh, but I'm glad to be with you today. Uh, Jordan used the word retirement. Usually retirement is equated with people who are over 27. And so I'm over 27. But for everybody who is around 27 or 24 or even 32, uh, people like me, when I look at you, I think that I'm 18 years old. That's who's looking out from this body. Whatever you think, however old I am, however much experience I've had in my life, I am 18 on the inside looking out. I still try to do stuff like an 18-year-old, and when you're a 65-year-old, sometimes that just doesn't work out. If you've ever heard of a flow rider, uh, your dad, uh, I'm sorry, I was going to say Jordan's dad, Pastor Jerry and Sharon, we met them a number of times uh, down in the Caribbean on cruises, and they have a flow rider there, and it's the kind of thing where you do uh, surfing and um, I watched a bunch of people who were much younger than me successfully do that, and I thought I would never do that because I would just embarrass myself. But the more I looked at that, the more my heart said to me, take a risk, just do it, just step out and do it. And so I did it, and I probably fell about 82 times. And uh, the first time after I fell, I sat down beside one of the other people who were uh, riding it successfully. They definitely were under 27. And they turned to me and they said... Uh, my wife Jocelyn was sitting beside me, and so she can back this up. How old actually are you? And I told them, and they jumped up and ran to their friends and said, you'll never believe how old this guy is. Well, I continued to try, and I eventually got up. I figured everybody was watching me, so I felt kind of self-conscious, but I realized that everybody was on their iPhone, or they were looking at guys who had much buffer bodies. When I finally got up, though, people applauded. It was like a sympathy vote, but I think it was good because I actually survived and made it. Taking risks is, is absolutely fantastic. Two years ago or so, um, Pastor Jerry uh, walked us through your facility. Uh, gave him into this room, went up into the offices, walked around outside in the foyer, went to the coffee area, went through the children's areas, uh, and just gave us a tour of the whole facility. And on that day, we looked forward to coming back here, had no idea perhaps we'd ever get the privilege or opportunity, but looked forward to it. And now we're here, and, and this is awesome. There's actually people in this room right now. That makes a good church when you got people here. If you just got empty chairs, it doesn't quite work as well. But you're here today, and if you're a guest, 
I hope that you won't remain a guest. I'm a guest today, and, and I love this place. And I hope that if it's your first time here, it won't be your last time here, that you come back next week or the week after, and you just settle in here. This is a good place. This is a real, you need to know this, friends. This is a really good place. There's a good vibe in this place. And, and I look forward to coming here, and it really is a soul sanctuary. This is a place where you can find rest for your soul, that you can find what Jesus said. Uh, are you weary? Are you heavy burdened? Are you just worn out and tired of religion? Then come to me and learn of me, because I am gentle and meek, and you can find rest for your souls. I think this is the kind of community, the environment, that you can find rest for your souls in. Jesus is here. This church loves Jesus. And you sense that when you're part of worship and you're engaged here. And again, just if it's your first time in community, it's my first time here. And I wish I lived in Winnipeg because I'd be back here and participating and, and a part of this. And again, just a huge privilege to be able to share. So on the screen, you should see a picture right now of uh, Ukraine and the kids camp in Ukraine was absolutely blown away by what uh, Pastor Jerry and Sharon and uh, their team has been doing and, and Jordan being over there and what your church does and in investing in the lives of students and reaching out to share the love of Jesus with them. That is absolutely awesome. I'm not sure if you know this. I'm not sure if your pastor tells you this, but the eyes of the nation are on you. From, a, from British Columbia right through the Maritimes, the eyes of the nation are on you. Other churches, other pastors, other leaders. I get together, I have the privilege of leading pastors who lead churches of over 500. And we've been getting together since 1997. We get together about every other year. And when Soul Sanctuary is spoken of, you have a reputation that is a good reputation, a stellar reputation, a place where people can come as they are but don't necessarily have to stay as they are. That they can find a place without judgment or condemnation, but a sense where you are accepted, where not only you're accepted, but that you are loved. Not just tolerated like we do in Canada, but genuinely, unconditionally loved, just like Jesus loves people. And again, that's why I love being here and being a part of this and coming together. We appreciate your pastors, Pastor Jerry and uh, Sharon. We met them, and the next slide uh, shows... Uh, part of our 500 plus gathering. Um, we actually suffer for Jesus and we go on a cruise uh, down in the Caribbean. And these are some of the leaders from across Canada, just a few of them. And you see uh, Pastor Jerry and Sharon in the back there. And I'm just down kind of in front of Sharon. And then my wife is over in the picture to my left. Uh, but, but great people. You may recognize some other pastors in there. There's Marvin and, and Char Charlene Moida uh, in the front. Uh, but we get together and uh, we have learned um, quite a lot about your pastors. We have, a, we have just a genuine, sincere, deep respect and love for Sharon. Um, kind of like that for Jerry, but not always. <laughs> but they have been a blessing to us. An incredible enrichment to our lives, a friendship. And... Uh, watching what they do and, and the length that they go to in ministry. The next picture, I think, uh, shows this is Pastor Jerry and Pastor Sharon. Yes. Wow, you guys got great pastors there. I'm not sure what they are, but they look amazing in this picture. And then the very next one is uh, Pastor Jordan. Jordan was in Ukraine and preaching. I saw this picture and I saw their theme, work hard and dream big. 
And there's Jordan on the platform sharing from his heart and just encouraging kids. And Jordan was telling me he's been there for three weeks this summer. And that really is, uh, that's exceptional. Uh, and not just the fact that you go to Ukraine, but that you, not, you do it repeatedly. And you're there and you sponsor kids to go to camp. And you, you've paid for some of the students to be able to be there. And good on you. I think if Jesus were here, he would write you a letter and he would simply say, good on you, soul sanctuary. Keep it going. Keep it going. Let's increase it. Let's make it bigger. Let's even work harder and let's see the lives of people come to know Jesus in a powerful, powerful way. The when I talk to and I'll go to one more slide, if we could, please. When I talked to Pastor Jerry, um, I told him I was going to be at Manhattan Beach Camp and I asked him, Jerry, would it be OK um, if do you have room for me maybe on the 7th of July to come and speak? And Jerry, just like that, said, yes, come on, let's go. And uh, he said, I won't be there, but come on, let's go. <laughs> and so he said yes. And so much of good stuff in life happens when we simply say yes. What's God's question for you? What is God trying to say into your life that you would simply need to say yes what would that yes liberate you for? What, what horizon would open up because you simply said yes? Jocelyn and my life would simply be an adventure in saying yes. That everything we've done has been about yes. And in those yeses, it, they've, we've taken some risk, experienced some pain. You know, I believe the one thing everybody in this room has in common, besides a belly button, is some kind of pain or discomfort. Right? That all of us have some kind of difficulty we face. And you can turn your pain into profanity or into poetry. And I have a feeling that there's many people in this room that have turned their pain into poetry. That you've taken your hurt and you've been healed and now you've become a wounded healer. That you're reaching out, whether it's in your own family, to your neighbors, where you go to school, the people you work with, strangers. But you are reaching out in a way with unconditional love and a capacity uh, to bring about wonderful, wonderful change. So Pastor Jerry let me know about um, what's happening with Soul Sanctuary, connections, groups. And so I asked him, can I talk about um, together? And uh, welcome to Soul Sanctuary. Yeah, again, I love the imagery that you have on your website, the invitation you give to people, just the sense of peace, uh, the sense of safety that comes through. The next slide is welcome home. How can you get better than that? Welcome home. There is so much of what we do at North Point, or what I got to do when I was there at North Point, that's so similar to your church. Um, I say to Jordan, before we come in, there's a prayer time for all the volunteers. And as we finished um, uh, the prayer and the amen was said, everybody started to walk into the middle and put their hands in the middle. So for 13 years, we've been doing that pre-service with our worship team. And we do it with our other pastors. Uh, and so uh, it was my idea to start the thing because I've been a football coach and a basketball coach and a soccer coach. And we always do that with team. And when you have a team, you want to just amp them up. You put your hands in and you go three, two, one and say some kind of word. Back home, and I took a picture of this because back home they always go, we must be the only church in Canada that has to do this. Three, two, one, it's like a basketball thing and this is church. So I took a picture. I'm going to send it back to them and say, no, no, no. There's another church that's even better than us. Look at all these people in the circle doing that. So that was great. And then at the end of the service, I want to pray a blessing into your lives. I, I miss being a pastor in a, in a local church. It's only been since March 17, but I miss that. Because one of the things that we would do at the end of our services, what I would just say to people, for anyone here that would like to receive a blessing, 
would you extend your hand towards me? Because I'd like to extend my hand over you and just pray a blessing into your life. I may not have had a chance to talk to you today, but I know you're here and I love you and I care about you. I'm your pastor and I want to bless you. I never want to hurt you because that's, I think, the heart of God. And so I would ask them to extend their hand forward and I would pray a blessing over to them. And then I, I'm told that's what you guys do here. It's almost like we're mirrors. Uh, Edmonton and, and uh, Seoul Sanctuary. So I feel quite at home. I really do. When I feel at home, I talk. And so, um, so I'm just kind of going on and on here. When I grew up, my name is Bob. Um, my sister called me Bobby. Uh, my parents never called me Robert. Uh, my mom always called me Bob. My dad sometimes would call me Bob. Other times he would call me Gabby. He called me Gabby because they never said a word. I didn't talk. At table, when we had dinner, dad would always say, um, how was your day at school? It was okay. Um, how was football? It was fine. All my answers were one words. And I really never talked. So he nicknamed me Gabby. And later when I told him that I was going to go to Bible college uh, to follow God's call and become whatever God wanted me to be, he said, he, like, you're going to Bible college. You don't like talking. If you're going to be in the church, you've got to talk. So how are you going to do that? Well, me being here today is why I love God's call on my life into ministry. Because when people look at Bob Jones, they go, wow, if Bob can do it, I can do it too. Because this is not my natural uh, habitat. Being in front of people is not what makes me feel comfortable. I would rather sit and listen to you. In fact, if we're together and we're having a one-on-one -on -one engagement, and I'm not talking, and then you're not talking, and it goes longer than two and a half seconds, I start to get freaky. Because I need somebody to say something, and I don't like to talk, so you better keep talking. I'm a good listener, uh, a good observer, a watcher, uh, but I love it when you talk so I can hear you. I can figure out who you are, where you're coming from. And I think it's God likes to speak into our hearts. And so I like to listen, and I hope you like to listen, and I hope what you would hear today, um, you would just feel like you've heard from the Spirit of God and His love and His care for you. And I trust maybe you have felt that already. Let me just go to one more slide because I believe strongly in this, that whatever circumstances you're facing in your life, whatever's happening with you, that nothing happens by chance or accident. The very fact that you're here today, the very fact that maybe you're a guest, or maybe even more so a part of Soul Sanctuary, and that I am here with you, that if you pick up something that is good, or if in your mind when I share a story, you go, wow, what are the odds of that? What are the odds that he would actually say something that I was just thinking about or a verse that was on my mind. What are the odds of that? If that happens, it's not because I'm good, it's because God cares about you. And he wanted to get your attention and put a pause moment into your life and just have you feel that, wow, what are the odds of that, that it would happen on a day just like this? What are the odds of that, that Pastor Jordan would read a verse from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, that would talk about perseverance? And so what is the book that I have in my computer case but a book called Tenacious and a book in which I share a story about perseverance. And I was thinking, just listening to Jordan talk about that, that it just made me feel at home. And it was one of those wow moments, one of those moments where you go, like, what are the odds that Jordan would pick that verse for this day? And when that happens in your life, whether it's in church right here on this day or when you're out there and something just crazy happens and it catches your attention, you go, wow, what are the odds of that? Think of that as a God wink. 
Think of that as God just getting your attention and like a favorite uncle may wink at you over the table at a special meal. You just have a feeling that God's got his eye on you, that he cares about you, that he loves you, that he's watching over you. Two men in a village were having an incredible argument, a dispute that they just couldn't resolve. And they were stubborn, each of them. And so they decided that they would go to the sage in their city and they would ask him who was right. And so the first man came to the sage and explained his background and his story and why he felt he was just in what he was doing. And he said to the sage, what do you think? And the sage said to him, you are exactly right. And the second man came to him. And he explained his side of the story and why he had acted and what he felt was the best interest for all. And then he asked the sage, what do you think? And the sage said to him, you are exactly right. Well, the sage's wife was listening. All good wives listen, right? And they all like to weigh in at times. And she says to her husband, the first man you told him he was exactly right. The second man you told him he was exactly right. They can't both be exactly right. And the sage said to her, you're exactly right. In our lives, we want to be in a place where we're doing the right thing, being the right kind of person and doing life together. And this is what this is, doing life together. When we do life together, we find ourselves in the right place, following the right path with the right track. Dr. Henry Cloud tells the story of his brother-in-law named Mark. Mark was, Mark's the kind of guy that other guy dream to be. Mark was a Navy SEAL. Mark served uh, with the U.S. forces in Iraq and was killed when he was in Iraq. Now, if you know anything about Navy SEALs, you know that they're the elite of the armed forces and they go through incredible training. And one of the parts of their training involves what they call Hell Week. And it's that moment where they try to break every trainee and the, the investment that these men and women have made to get to this point is pushed right to the limit. And they are put through their paces and they are pushed right to the end of their ex uh, exhaustibility. They're without sleep. And one of the last things they do is a long swim. And Mark had done this swim. And he had finished the swim, was on shore looking out at the rest that were coming. And he noticed out in the water one of his friends. And his friend was getting towards the shore, but he was still far off, couldn't stand up, couldn't walk. But he noticed that his friend had stopped. He wasn't swimming anymore. He wasn't moving anymore. He was just there. And his friend out in the water said, when I was in that moment, I was ready to quit. I couldn't go anymore. I had nothing left within me. There was nothing that I could dredge up from beneath. And I was about to quit, and I thought about all the years and all the, the, the workouts and the readiness and the whole hell week, and I'm in the last thing, and I can't get there. And his heart was breaking, but he was, he was just, he couldn't do anything more. And he looked up, and he saw Mark on the shore. And Dr. Henry Proud tells this story because Mark's buddies told Henry this story at Mark's funeral. And they talked about how incredible Mark was in supporting others. And in this moment, Mark's friend is out in the water about to quit and he sees Mark on the shore. And what Mark does is he puts his fist in the air and he says, I did it. I'm here. Keep going. And the guy in the water sees Mark and something happens. Something that to a degree almost becomes unexplainable. And he finds something within him that lifts him to a higher level 
and he continues to push towards the shore, and he makes it. He becomes a Navy SEAL. There was something in that engagement when he heard the voice, saw the fist, there was something that just welled up within him. The next slide talks about the fact that in our lives, and this is from the power of the other, of relationships, how can something as immaterial, invisible, and mystical as an emotional connection with a buddy have what amounts to material, measurable, and physical effect like fueling a body across space and physical boundaries? That's the power of connection. That's the power of together. I believe that's the power of community. That's the power of coming together and not doing life alone. And that's the power of what I believe Jesus calls his disciples to. That's what I believe the Bible calls his disciples to. I'm holding the Bible that was given to me by my junior high teacher. And he gave this to me um, because I had actually written an essay for him. But the key was he gave it to me because it's called the Reach Out Bible. And he gave this Bible to me with hopes that I would learn to reach out to my peers. And there's been something almost prophetic in that because my life has been characterized by doing things that would reach out to other people, about sharing Jesus in creative ways. And this meeting today just may be a word from God for you about those who might be, for whatever reason, reluctant or hesitant to join community, to be a part of a small group, even to be a part of a church, that I want to... And I trust that God will as well speak into your hearts about what it is to be committed to connection, what it is to take the risk of the mess of relationships, uh, because relationships are a mess that are worth making. Relationships are a mess that are worth making. Whatever those relationships are in your life, whether it's parent to child, friend to friend, husband to wife, families, the people you work with, the people in your youth group, small groups, connection groups, the effort that it takes to come together in relationship has a risk that they don't always go the best. Maybe not even hurtful, just maybe boring. Maybe you just don't like it. Um, the ability to hang and to stay together and to experience the messiness of relationships and to, to make a mess that's worth making in terms of our lives, this is something that I believe God is calling us to, calling you to calling you this summer to, to experience something. If you've never been a part of a connection group before or a small group, I want to encourage you to, to do that this summer, to become involved, to do what, what I didn't want to do. I never wanted to be a pastor. Uh, when I was growing up, my goal was to be a hermit. That's what I wanted to do is be a hermit. I, I kind of relate to the Charlie Brown School of Theology. I love the world. It's people I can't stand. That was me. I, my dream was to become a pilot, uh, a helicopter pilot or a small plane pilot that would fly into communities in northern Canada and uh, deliver people or products and fly in, then fly out, and then go back and be in my cave and be by myself. That dream got busted because I'm legally blind. Uh, my vision is 220. What you can see at 200 feet, I can see at 20. So when I but when it, before I had glasses, I had to read like this when I was reading. And the only reason I can see now is I've had cataract surgery. Now I have 20-20 vision. Um, but I couldn't go and become a pilot. I couldn't join the military. I couldn't go to college. I couldn't become a helicopter pilot, nothing. So everything kind of got broken. And that's where God redirected my dreams. I'd, I learned that I didn't want to be a hermit. I wanted to be around people. But I never felt, I never felt that people would accept me. 
I had this, this hesitancy that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't interesting, that I wasn't likable. Uh, I convinced myself of that. And I'll tell you what, I'm not sure about you, but some things that you have when you're a child or a teen, and they're, they're kind of always in the background nagging away at you, that always is in the background of my mind. I'm standing here right now wondering, I wonder if these people actually like me or if they're listening to me or they're picking up anything that's good. That's the conversation that I'm having in the back of my head. And if you ever struggle with stuff that you think is a structural weakness, something you just don't be able to shake, that doesn't mean you're less of a Christian or that faith doesn't work for you or that God's not on your side. It just means you have something that always reminds you that you need him. There is a weakness in our lives that God works through in a strength that he gets all the credit and the glory for. And, and so being here in front of you today, that's what this is all about, the opportunity to share in a, in a humble uh, kind of way and no longer be in a hermit. Relationships are huge. Let me share a verse with you that is the only verse like it in the entire Bible. And I put a black background with small text just so you could see it. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, you are those who stood by me in my trials. You are those who stood by me in my trials. He's speaking these words not very far away from his crucifixion. Now, here's the key. In the entire Bible, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, it's always God standing with us in our trials. This is the only place in the entire Bible where God says, man stood with me in my trials. Because Jesus was God. He came into our world, became just like us. That's what the Bible says. He declared it himself that he was God. He was hidden in plain sight as God. Other people saw him as a rabbi, as a, a friend, as a healer, a miracle worker, but never as God. Even his closest disciples didn't see him as God. Even when Peter declared at one point in time, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, the Father must have shown that to you because that's the only way you'd know that. Even Peter had no idea what he was talking about. Because it wasn't until after the resurrection that the disciples discovered that there was something different about Jesus. He wasn't just Jesus of Nazareth, the son of a stonemason and a carpenter. He was God. And it was the resurrection that changes everything. And that's the difference between religion and what people who follow Jesus have. They, they serve someone who is alive from the dead, who is powerful, who is just like us, but unlike us. And people who are unlike Jesus, like Jesus. And that's the kind of love that you want to be able to give away from your life. But Jesus says to his friends, you stood by me in my trials. And what I take away from that is this. If, if Jesus needed a group, if Jesus couldn't do life on his own and he needed others, then who might I be to say, I can make it on my own. I don't need other people. I can be a hermit. I can just hang with me because I like me and I don't trouble me and I like my company and I never disagree with me. But when you join with other people, it's really an outworking of what God's called us to. You see, we can't do faith alone. You, you can't live your Christian life alone. You, you can't. It's just impossible. You can't become successful by yourself. And we have to find a way to be together and get along with each other and harmonize. Church isn't perfect. People aren't perfect. They mess church up. At, at the camp that we were at, Manhattan Beach Camp, I thought it was a genius idea. The junior high leader, um, Orlin, uh, had a whole bunch of junior highs, and he said to them at the beginning of their camp portion, um, what we're going to do is learn how to plant a church. 
That's, I don't know if junior highs are excited about that, but that's what he did. And they got excited, and so they had to assign a pastor, and they had to assign greeters, and they had to have somebody lead worship, and they had to have somebody take up the offering. And Orland said after the first day, they already had a church split. <laughs> These are junior highs. They couldn't get along and talk with each other, so they had to work this whole thing out. And then they actually promoted their church, held services, and they had a competition because that's what churches do, right? See who can get the most number of people to come to their church. And, and then they awarded the kids uh, uh, Slurpees and stuff like that at the end of the week. But I thought it was genius. What I thought was best was a little guy named David who was a pastor. And uh, he, he said, man, this is really hard work being a pastor. And it was like, yeah, yeah, I kind of relate to that and understand that. Coming together in imperfection, coming together in connection, coming together to learn. And it's not just what we learn, it's what others learn from us. That's the beauty of a group. I've been a part of a small group for 16 years. I've, I've been a part of lots of small groups in our church, Bible study groups, support groups. Um, I've led them, I've co-led them, I've just been a part of them. But this one group I've been a part of for 16 years is called Iron Man. We called it Iron Man, not because any of us do Iron Man, but we called it Iron Man because iron sharpens iron. So 16 years ago, we got together with business people. One of the guys who attends is the vice president of RMR Foods. He's in charge of a multi-million dollar budget, hundreds of employees. Um, we have business owners, shop owners, entrepreneurs, teachers. Um, and, and we sit down in a Starbucks. We've met in a Subway, a bookstore, a Tim Hortons, and Starbucks. The reason we're at Starbucks is nobody drank Starbucks coffee when we were meeting at Tim Hortons. But we decided we'd read a book, because we look, we look at a book and then we talk about it. And so the book we were reading was called Onward. It's the story of Starbucks. And we were sitting in Tim Hortons, we all had our books out. <laughs> and the manager of Tim Hortons came by and said this, do you think that's an appropriate book to be reading here? <laughs> and it wasn't like she was kidding, she was serious. So we looked at each other after she left and, she sa and we said, Maybe it isn't. Maybe we should go to Starbucks. So we did. None of us drank Starbucks. And that was years ago. Now we all drink Starbucks. We meet at Starbucks every Wednesday morning at 8.15. And we share our lives with each other and what we learn. And I never leave that place without being refreshed. Uh, we only spent about 57 minutes together or less. But we always get to drink coffee, get to share, get to learn some amazing books. But also people that keep cycling in. We've done it for 16 years. Myself and one other guy are the only two that have been in there all 16 years. So men and women come in. And uh, it, it's been rich. And I love that group. I love those people. I never know what's going to happen. But always something good does. And to be connected to community provides that opportunity. And I, I think God can kind of work in our lives through that. Um, I think the next slide is the moment where I'm going to have my wife Jocelyn come and be able to share with you. So Jocelyn um, uh, is, is my better half. Everybody else agrees with that as well. Um, they love Jocelyn when she speaks. She was the women's pastor at our church. She started up small groups in our church. She um, started with just a few women and a few groups, and she grew it to having 27 small group leaders uh, and hundreds of women that would come into a community and share. And uh, so our transition has been not just me leaving, but Jocelyn leaving, trying to find a new way. Um, and I asked Jocelyn if she would come and just share like a brief story with you about a small group that she started that has a special purpose. Uh, you, you talked about Jordan. If you can't find a, a group, maybe start your own, right? So um, Jocelyn started her own group. And I'm just going to let her talk about what that group's about.
feel so happy to know that you are going into community. I believe that community is one of the best ways and the only way to do life together. And a year ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. I found that in my city and in my community, I had lots of resources available to me. However, I was looking for a spiritual component to that community. And I felt like, okay, God, what are you going to do with what is happening to me? And this thought popped into my mind about starting a group called Supporting the Fighters. We organized it for anyone that was going through cancer or who had gone through cancer or family members who had someone in their family that had uh, dealt with cancer. And so when we started the group, we put it out on the social media, we put it out on Facebook, and at the same time, our city paper ran a story about a young mom. Her name was Tanya. Tanya was dealing with stage four melanoma, but she was also uh, very involved in um, fitness and uh, sort of like a fighter. So I had called the group Supporting the Fighters, and we got... <laughs> managed to get in touch with Tanya, and I said to her, Tanya, you know, I know you don't come to church, but I would love to have you come and be part of the group that we have, because I believe we can help you along. And then I said to her, Tanya, what do you need? What do you need that maybe we, out of community, could meet that need? And you know, she was honest enough with me to say, you know, I have a house, but I've been so sick, I haven't had time to do things. Do you think someone could come and clean my house? Could someone make some meals for me? I need a room painted. My husband was dragged out by the RCMP a couple of months ago. He punched some holes in the wall. Could someone patch those holes? We went back to our church family and we said, look, we have this young mom. This is her need. Could you do anything? had men step up, go to her home. They'd never met her, knocked on her door, said, hey, we're here. They repaired her walls. They painted her rooms. Women cleaned her house. Other women baked and cooked for her. They stocked her freezer and her fridge. She has a 10-year-old son. Some of the family said, hey, would Andreas like to come and spend the weekend with our boys, with our family? And in the midst of that, Tanya was led to the Lord through a personal faith in Jesus Christ. And at the end of it, I said, do you know what? Do you think maybe when I got cancer, God had Tanya in mind? I think he did. And I'm just so glad for community. There's been other women come to our group who do not have a faith background, but they're looking for something. They're looking for connection connection happens in community. You never know what God can use you for or what the good can come out of your story and your circumstances. Thank you. Thanks, Joss. Jocelyn is the funky spunky one in our relationship. <laughs> Commitment. It's a word that is filled with strength, but also at times can be off-putting, commitment. Sometimes in our society, people think that others don't want to make commitments. Sometimes they think, they even think millennials don't like to make commitments. 
but I think they do. They just want to find something that's worth committing to. Because commitment will change your life. When I think about my life, I realize that everything that I have that's good in my life has come from commitment. I could never have gone through university and got a degree in mathematical sciences if it wasn't for the commitment to the study and the discipline. I could never have graduated Bible college if it wasn't for the commitment to see our way through the studies and learning and training and the practicality of it. I could never be married today if it wasn't for commitment. We've been married for 40 years, and that takes a lot of commitment. And it takes a lot of commitment in the good times and the hard times. But it does take commitment. The success that I've had in my life, I, I attribute to commitment. And when you commit yourself to something that's worth being committed to, then everything changes. It changes your purpose, your energy, your flow, what you're doing. It changes your enthusiasm, your excitement. I have a feeling the people who are committed to Soul Sanctuary are happy to come on Sundays. They look forward to coming on Sundays. And maybe other people don't get it why you're so enthused about a Sunday morning being on the inside when summer's happening on the outside. But you're committed to this. You're committed to God and you're committed to each other. And those commitments change everything. A strong commitment moves our lives in a common direction and a singular direction, and that direction changes everything. I was noticing um, in the back, Kurt, uh, the guitar player. You notice the flat body guitar that he had? I'm not sure if you pay attention or see different things like that. He's got the acoustic guitar and then the flat body six string in the back. Um, th that guitar didn't exist. That kind of guitar didn't exist um, back in the late 40s. But a young guy by the name of Les Paul had a love for guitars and wanted to invent a hard body guitar. And so he worked on doing this. And in 1948, Les was in a terrible car accident that left him with a shattered right elbow. And the doctors talked to him about the fact that they would need to set his arm in a position that would not be movable. So however they set that arm, it would no longer be movable. And because Les Paul wanted to play the guitar, he asked them if they would set his arm so that he could be able to cradle the guitar. And he wouldn't be able to do anything else with that arm except play the guitar. And so in 1948, the doctor set his arm so that he could ha be, have the ability to play the guitar. And he has devoted himself to playing and developed a guitar that for many people um, uh, just take for granted. But it flowed out of this man's passion that was so desirous of following one thing that now he has guitars named after him. And the guitar, like I say, that Kurt was playing is in, in existence today. What would come into existence with your commitment? What would come into your existence with a commitment to, to God, to each other, to community, to connection, to taking the risk of making a mess of relationships, but also taking the risk of finding the advantage of relationships. What would come into this world because you commit to the dream God's put in your heart, that you commit to taking the step that might be risky, of going on the flow rider and being in front of people and thinking they're laughing at you when you're falling. But you know, when you're learning how to surf, falling isn't failing. It's just a part of the whole process. And when you get to stand up, you'll be glad for those falls because they helped you move to the next step so that you can actually surf and ride the wave. What's God calling you to do with that? Perhaps you're here this morning and it's your first time, or maybe you've been here many times, and you come to a place in your life today where you may be like a person who asked me this question. Pastor Bob, 
you talked about giving your life to God, to Jesus, and following him. What actually does that mean? What does that look like? And I remember with this lady, I simply took a piece of paper and nothing on either side of that paper. And I said, you know, the simplest way that I could explain giving your life to God is simply just take a blank piece of paper and at the bottom, write your name and then give that to God and let him write on that paper what he wants for you. That's what it is to surrender to him. That's what it is to, as the Bible uses the term, consecrate. That's what it is simply to just live your life fully for Jesus, for God. To give him that blank sheet of paper. To give him your life. Because if he's God, you really want him calling the shots, giving the direction, empowering, strengthening, blessing. And this morning, for everyone who is at a point in your life where this piece of paper suddenly made sense to you. That's how I could do that. I don't have to be perfect. My life doesn't have to be clean like this and empty. The past doesn't matter. It's the moment that counts. And the ability to simply say with my life, okay, I'm going to put Bob Jones at the bottom of the paper. God, here's my life. You just take it, write on it, shape it. I want to be what you want me to be. And I, I want to be able to follow Jesus so that I can find a grace and a forgiveness and a love that I can share with other people. And for you who are here today and are, are ready to make that decision, you can do it right where you are. God's listening to you. He knew you would be here today. He knew I'd be here today. He saw me holding this piece of paper up, and he saw you, and he saw how this would resonate with you. It's no coincidence that I picked this paper, this moment, this story, this invitation for you. God loves you. He cares about you. This is your moment to simply say yes. He's been waiting for that yes. And I think inside your heart, you've been waiting for that yes as well. I'm going to have Mandy and her team come back, if they would. Names are so important. God knows names. He knows that Nadine is at this mic and that Mandy's right in the middle with her guitar and that Cindy's over here and in the back there's Kurt on the drums and Kurt on the guitar and then at the keyboards, Kira. The opportunity to know names and to know people and to connect. God knows your name. He created you. He loves you. He has his heart wide open to you. And he sent his son Jesus into this world to care and to love. This morning, as we close off, I would just like to take a moment and do like I mentioned at the beginning. I'm going to extend my hand in just a moment over all of you here this morning and would love to pray a blessing into your lives. And one of the ways, like I said, with our own church family, we just ask them, anybody who would receive a blessing, just reach out your hand back towards me. And in the same way that Mark connected with that Navy SEAL who was at the end of his strength and something lifted him up, the power of the other, something that occurred, it's not magic, but God blesses people and honors prayers. And I'm going to invite all of you to stand together with us, if you would, please. And we just invite you, if at the close of this gathering you would be open to God and his blessing. I would love to pray a blessing into your lives. And you simply reaching out towards me, maybe also saying, I want to reach out towards God, Pastor Bob. I want Jesus in my life. I want to know him and start to follow him. And this is my day, the 7th of July, 2019. This is my moment. I want to get into a relationship with God. Would you extend your hand? Let me just pray for you. Dear Jesus, thank you for everyone here at Soul Sanctuary. Thank you that you promise 
to restore our souls. Thank you that you promised a rest. I pray a blessing of rest, of calm, of health, of prosperity. A soul that prospers. I pray for everyone in this room that they would know that they were in the right place at the right time this morning. That their choice of being here. And that to follow you, to trust you fully with their hearts is a blessing. And I bless them with the love and the forgiveness of Jesus, his mercy and his grace, his promise that he would never leave us or forsake us. And I pray God's favor. And I pray God's rich, rich gifting for each and every person here this morning. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. Your blessing into each person's life. Now we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Friends, and I call you friends. Love being a part of this day with you and being able to honor and celebrate all that God's doing in your lives. I want to encourage you, and just because I kind of get the last word, to make sure you go into the foyer, get a chance to sign up for the groups, be a part of community this summer, be a part of, of connecting with other people. And as you go, just remember, in your life, in your heart, the next time you see a 65-year-old guy or woman, just remember they're 18 on the inside looking out, and they're alive. I love you. God bless you.